Welcome to Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga and Chinese medicine and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'm going to continue with an introductory series on Chinese medicine, here with a discussion on qi. I'll be looking at what exactly qi is, how it functions in the body, and I'll consider two broad disharmonies of qi. So let's get started. So to begin, what is qi? The concept of qi is a very challenging concept from Chinese philosophy and Chinese medicine, and it's difficult to parse this concept in Western terms. Frequently, qi is translated to refer to something like energy or life force or even prana. And while this is to some degree accurate, it is also not the complete picture. As one Chinese medical classic puts it, quote, the ancient Chinese perceived the existence of qi and believed it to be the basic substance by which all movements and all mutations of all phenomena in the universe arise, end quote. In other words, everything within the universe possesses some form of qi, independent of whether or not those entities possess life. So this is why life force is kind of an inaccurate translation. Stars, asteroids, black holes, Oceans, mountains, plants, birds, all of these possess a kind of qi in one form or another. To this end, many hardline Chinese medical theorists insist that the term has no good English or Western equivalent. The concept of qi is one that defies translation or reduction. So on one level, the broad concept of qi includes living and non-living phenomena. Similarly, there's a way in which the term signifies something that is simultaneously material and immaterial. In fact, the Chinese character for qi suggests its elusive nature. Part of the Chinese character for qi signifies vapor or steam or gas, hinting at an immaterial nature or quality. That said, the second part of the Chinese character for qi represents that of uncooked rice, suggesting a denser, more material form. And as a compound character with these two put together, it's often interpreted to mean that the steam that is produced by the transformation of uncooked rice into cooked and therefore digestible rice is what is meant by qi. And as we'll see, this relationship between cooking food and the production of qi in the body is really foundational to the Chinese conception of nourishing and strengthening one's qi. For now, suffice it to say, however, that qi, in its broadest sense, is a concept that resists translation. And part of the reason qi is so difficult to translate is due to its dynamic, non-fixed nature. Mashiosha, the acupuncturist who wrote one of the foundational texts we studied in acupuncture school called The Foundations of Chinese Medicine, states it like this, quote, 
The reason it is so difficult to translate the word chi correctly lies precisely in its fluid nature, whereby chi can assume different manifestations and be different things in different situations. Now that said, within a human life form, we can refer to chi's manifestation as a kind of energetic life force that is the essential element for the sustenance of human life. In other words, life, and in particular human life, is a particular aggregation or condensation of qi. A Taoist philosopher in the first century, Wang Chong, said it like this, quote, Qi produces the human body just as water becomes ice. As water freezes into ice, so qi coagulates to form the human body. When ice melts, it becomes water. When a person dies, he or she becomes spirit again. It is called spirit just as melted ice changes its name to water. End quote. So while in the aggregate of a human form, the Taoists were keenly interested in cultivating and optimizing the state of their qi. And this is where Taoists share similar concerns with ancient and modern yogis. To borrow a phrase from the modern yogini Sarah Powers, Yoga can be viewed as a chi enhancement discipline through intentional exercises of body, breath, and mind, i.e. yoga and meditation, and in conjunction with dietary and other lifestyle practices, one can enhance and then optimize the quality, flow, texture, and functioning of one's chi. To a large extent, this is the overlapping domain of interest of both yogis and Taoists, and in subsequent posts, I'll examine more thoroughly the different functions of qi, also the different manifestations or kinds of qi, as well as different aggregates of qi, such as the different vital substances of essence and blood and mind in the body. For this introductory discussion of qi, it's very important to consider two broad energetic disharmonies, patterns that when they occur lead to disease, pain, imbalance, or disharmony. And these patterns are often called qi deficiency and qi stagnation. But it's important to note too, there exist many other patterns of disharmony. For now, I'm gonna keep it as simple as possible, just to give you the, a handle of the basic concepts of qi deficiency and qi stagnation. As the name suggests, qi deficiency is an issue of insufficient qi, sometimes referred to as qi vacuity. And qi stagnation is a problem of blocked or stuck qi. Both of these patterns can either manifest on the local level in a specific area of the body, with qi deficiency of the digestive process, or stagnant qi in a joint causing pain, or these patterns can manifest on a more global level, whereby there will be more pervasive, systematic, global presentations of deficiency and stagnation. But generally, deficient qi symptoms include fatigue, loose stools, poor appetite, dizziness, pale face, weak voice, and or a reluctance to speak, sweating with little to no exertion, tendency to catch colds easily. In their classic text on Chinese medicine, Wiseman and Ellis write, quote, Qi deficiency denotes a group of diseases caused by a vacuity of original qi. The deficiency may be caused by enduring illness, old age, a weak constitution, malnutrition, or strong taxation and fatigue. 
Now, in contrast, the main symptoms associated with stagnant qi or blocked qi are these, where there's distension or pressure, aches and pains that may or may not move around, psychological depression and irritability and anger. Wiseman and Ellis write, quote, under normal circumstances, the qi flows smoothly and freely through the whole body. But if the qi dynamic is disturbed in any part, the resultant disorder in the relevant organ or channel, that is meridian, is known as qi stagnation. Emotional constraint, dietary irregularities, contraction of external evils, and external injury are all potential factors of qi dynamic disturbance. And for many people, particularly in the West, stress is an underlying contributory factor in the development of qi stagnation. Stress causes the qi to become stuck, emotionally stuck, and then that can lead to tensions, aches, and pains in the body. Now, with these patterns in mind, it's helpful to consider how different yoga practices influence the state of each pattern of qi disharmony. Drawn from observations in my own practice, as well as from the practice of friends and students, and from my clinical experience as an acupuncturist, it seems that deficient qi patterns benefit greatly from both restorative and yin yoga styles. These styles of practice gently stimulate the meridian system and stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, promoting a restoration of deficient qi. Neither practice requires a great expenditure of energy or qi to engage with them, and so they allow the body a time to focus on replenishing itself and making up for that deficiency of qi. For more stagnant patterns, patterns where the energy and qi are stuck, the styles of active and dynamic yoga, i.e. yang yoga, are frequently more indicated. The movement and flowing dynamics of yang yoga pump and flood fresh qi through the regions that are stagnant, helping to restore a natural free flow of qi in the body as a whole. But that said, it's also quite true that yin yoga, with its emphasis on targeting qi flow in the joints, also helps to move stagnant qi there. In fact, many forms of stagnant qi occur specifically at the joint sites, which suggests how a combination of yin and yang yoga is so effective at restoring and promoting an optimization of qi quality and flow. Yin yoga clears out the deep obstructions in the meridians, particularly the joint sites, and yang yoga pumps higher quality qi and blood through those unobstructed meridians again. Going forward, I'll have much more to say about qi, both in terms of its different manifestations and the different ways of optimizing its quality and flow. But I'd like to conclude this introduction to qi with a general sense of the concept of qi itself, and really, I don't think there's any better description of this than that offered by Ted Kapchuk in his Chinese medical classic, The Web That Has No Weaver. Ted writes, quote, The notion of qi is as fundamental to Chinese culture and medical thought as yin and yang. Like these complementary opposites, no English word or phrase can adequately capture qi's meaning. One can say that, for the Chinese, everything in the universe... Inorganic and organic is composed of and defined by its qi. Mountains, plants, and human emotions all have qi. Qi is not so much a force added to lifeless matter, but the state of being of any phenomena. For the Chinese, qi is the pulsation of the cosmos itself. 
Everything in the universe is composed of and defined by its qi. Chinese thought does not distinguish between matter and energy, but we can think of qi as matter on the verge of becoming energy at the point of materializing. It is perceived functionally by what it does. Like electricity, it flows in a current. And that's from Ted Kapchuk. That last line where he says, qi is perceived functionally by what it does, is critical to remember. We'll see this in Chinese medicine in general. Entities in Chinese medicine are almost unanimously perceived functionally, that is defined by what they do. And we'll see this affirmed again and again when we look at the meridian system, where meridians are defined by what they do functionally. We'll see it when we look at the organ systems, where organs are defined by what they do functionally. And the vital substances of the body, when we come to the sections on vital substances, we'll see again that these are defined by what they do functionally for the whole organism. But now it's important to discuss the channels within which the qi is conducted and circulated through the body. Namely, we need to look at the meridian system of Chinese medicine. Okay, I'll stop there for now. And in the next episode of the Everyday Sublime podcast, I'll continue this introductory series on Chinese medicine, looking specifically at meridians. These are the channels or main conduits through which the qi circulates. So I look forward to sharing that with you, with insights as always from my practice to yours. But if you'd like to subscribe or follow along to Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. There's a link for you in the show notes. Or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. And of course, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.